Today we begin week two, week two of our series established, and we've been saying uh, that established means that you are growing, you are thriving, you are flourishing in your life and in your faith. And I believe that it's not just that you are growing yourself, but then when we are truly growing, we begin to grow others. And so today uh, I'm going to be reading from Mark chapter 5 verse 21, and I'm just going to give you the beginning of the story, and then I'll explain it uh, later on as we get down into it. And so here's what it says, Mark 5, verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and he saw Jesus, and he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. He said, my little daughter is dying. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that some of you this week are in the process of losing somebody you love. Somebody is losing their life as you speak. It is slowly slipping away. And maybe this is your position. Maybe this is where you are this week. And so he says to Jesus, says, please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and that she will live. And it says this, so Jesus went with him. Jesus went with him. Maybe that's what you need to hear today, that Jesus is with you. And so I want to give you the title of the message. I need to remind you that I did not title this message, but my student pastors in ministry titled this message. And so I have to give credit where credit is due. But since I'm speaking about students, our students, uh, some of them are at a retreat this weekend with a bunch of other students. And yeah, uh, I got to speak to them on Friday night. But I got to tell you, church, your youth group is different than any other youth group I've ever seen in my life. Because as I was speaking, I looked and there in the front row were all of our Be Hope students and they had Bibles open. They had their journals open. They were ready. They were receiving God's word. I want you to know at 11 a.m., and even our students that are here right now, they set the atmosphere in this place. They're the ones who set the culture in this place. They're the ones that I look up to every week who lead me spiritually as we step into this place. And so, uh, so I let them title our messages. And here's the title for today. No cap. <laughs> Stupid. No cap. No cap. And uh, if you're like, I don't know what that means. Uh, like I did when they said it. Uh, let me give you another title. How to know the truth. How to know the truth. So turn to two people and say no cap and you can be seated. Uh, I'll get to think less of me when I say this, but I want you to know I am extremely simple-minded. I am dense. I'm simple-minded. But I want you to know today that sometimes I believe it is the simple phrases in Scripture that have the most impact on our lives. And so when I was reading this story and I was preparing it for you, I, I, I sat with, just for a moment, this idea, so Jesus went with him. It's a very simple statement. But when you sit with that and you think about the profound nuances and truth of that in your life, it changes how you see your life. See, as I sat with that, here's what I realized. Uh, when, I am, when I am dead, when I die, when I'm six feet under, or when I'm lying in the casket or urn, I haven't decided if I want to be buried or if I want to be in an urn or whatever. I guess I should figure that out pretty soon, shouldn't I? I'm getting old. But I realized that, that when I die, 
what I want people to say about me at my funeral is that they will say about me, Jesus was with him. When people look at my life, what I want you to say about me and what you knew when you watched my life is that Jesus was with him. In fact, what I know about you and what you understand about your own life is that when you die, you will not be able to take your house, your career, your cars, your kids, your family, your success, and everything that you've built in your life to the grave with you. But there is one thing that you can take with you, and I believe that this is what's in your heart today, that when people look at your life and they speak about who you are and how you lived, they will say about you, Jesus was with you. Jesus was with you. In fact, I want to take a moment because this is really important to the message. I want us to proclaim today that Jesus is with us, that Jesus is with you. And so if you're watching online today, I want you to go ahead and put it in the chat for us. Get a beat on it. Go ahead, get it down there that Jesus is with you. And right here in Ironton and in Beaver Creek, I want you to proclaim that over your neighbor's life, somebody next to you right now, and say, Jesus is with you. Jesus is with you. Come on, church, say it like you mean it. Say it like you believe it. Make somebody else next to you believe it, that Jesus is with you. We'll get there. But here's why I say that, and here's why I want you to say it, is because I believe, I believe with absolute truth that Jesus is with you. I believe that is the truth. And some of you, you call cap on it. You're like, I don't know what that means, Brad. Can you explain for just a second? Have you ever met somebody who's spitting out Google facts and telling a story that you know a lie is a lie and it's not completely untrue? And you're like, you're an idiot. You are not telling the truth. You call cap on it. You're lying. You aren't telling us the full story. You aren't telling us the truth. So uh, some of you, when you hear me say that this is the absolute truth, that Jesus is with you, you call cap on it and you say, no, 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 that is the furthest thing from the truth. Because, because I don't think that God is with me. It feels in my life right now that God has abandoned me. Some of you, you would say hope in your life is an afterthought. Now for some of you, oh, come on, this is my story, this is your story. That when we come into this place every single Sunday, sometimes we don't come to worship, but sometimes we come in desperate. We are desperate. We are desperate in our work. We are desperate in our marriages. We are desperate when it comes to our education. We are desperate when it comes to our time. We are desperate when it comes to our schedules. We are desperate when it comes to our projects. We are desperate when it comes to raising our kids. We are desperate in every area of our lives. And so you're saying, Brad, I know you keep saying that he's with me, but I don't believe you. I'm calling cap on it. And so today... I want to help you see that I believe that Jesus is with you and it is the absolute truth. And so if you would give me just a few minutes, okay, maybe more than a few. <laughs> I don't want to lower your expect, raise your expectations. I want to walk us through some powerful stories in the book of Mark that help us see with absolute truth that Jesus is with us. And so I just want to let you know ahead of time what we're going to do. So Mark does this really cool thing in his book when he writes his gospel. And in, in school, we would call it a Markan sandwich, okay, not a Marxist sandwich, 
a Markin sandwich. And so what Mark does, if you could think about your favorite sandwich, I don't care if you like rye or sourdough or wheat, just pick your bread, okay? Jimmy John's it is. But what Mark will do is he will give you the first story, which is the first piece of bread, and he puts it on the bottom. We already got the introduction to that story of Jairus and him about to lose his daughter. But then what he does is he stops that story mid-story and gives us the meat. And he tells us a completely different story. And you're like, where are we going with this, Mark? So he gives you the meat. And what he does is so cool is at the end, he takes the story that he put on the bottom in this piece of bread, and he comes back and he finishes the end of the story on top with another piece of bread. Are you with me? Are you getting hungry yet? You're like, Brad, make this quick. I'm getting hungry. I'm a sandwich. But... But I want you to see that within the two stories that we're going to see today, that at the heart of it, what we find is people who are desperate. We find people who feel abandoned. We find people who are questioning, God, are you with me right now? But here's what I also know. Packed between those two stories today is this one truth that we read, is that Jesus went with him. And I need you to know that Jesus is with you. And so I want to pack that truth today with you. And so Mark takes us to the next story. And here's what he says in Mark chapter 5, verse 24. It says, a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And there was a woman there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 long years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus... She came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought, if I could just touch his clothes, then I will be healed. So it's implied that she touches his clothes and it says immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Now, Jesus realizes that the power had gone out from him and he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Yo, bro, who touched me? It says uh, the disciples were like, duh. Usually it's the other way around. Jesus is like, duh. That's why the disciples. But this time they're like, duh. You're in the crowd, dude. Everybody's touching you. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Who touched me? Who touched me? And so Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and she was trembling with fear, and she told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. I want you to go in peace because you have been freed in your suffering. You have been freed in your suffering. Oh, somebody is excited today. I'm going to let you know. We're going to get there. Uh, by the way, as I step in, can I let you know, if I appear like I'm angry at any moment, I'm just passionate. I'll try to smile like Joe Olstein. Maybe that'll help. <laughs> I don't have it. So, so today, as we read the story, I want to take you to the. Tw I want to take you shopping, uh, not the Beaver Creek Mall, not the Ironton Diner, uh, not at Duluth Trading Company, not Lululemon. Uh, I don't know where you shop. Do, do we shop at malls today anymore? Some of us do. I shop online. Walmart, come on, some Walmart shopping. They got good shoes, by the way. Uh, I shop online, and my staff, uh, they give me a hard time about that. And just to be frank, I don't care what you think about my clothes. I like my clothes. I don't care what they think either. Uh, 
but I don't want to go 21st century shopping. I want to go first century shopping with you. So uh, in the Middle East, if you've never been there before, it's really hot. So you don't need a lot of clothes. And if you were in the first century, by the way, you didn't have a lot of resources, and so you had just a few garments. But one of the most important garments that you would have been given in this day is a prayer shawl. I was trying to say this earlier, and I sounded like a country, but I was like, a shawl. Somebody's like, please don't say it like that. You sound like, you sound like a country boy. They said it's a shawl. So, so you would be given a shawl, and, and this was translated as the word, like, the visual is a tent. So if you could imagine a giant piece of cloth that looks like a tent, that is the garment that would be given to you, a prayer shawl. And I want you to hear this, that on the end of the prayer shawl are four corners, which they would call the wings. The wings. It is like first century Red Bull, yo. It is so good. Your wings so you can fly. There's power in the wings. Power in the wings, the wings. Remember this, the wings. Hang on to that. Put it in your Bible. Write it down. Put it in the chat. The wings, the wings, the wings. But connected to the wings were this thing called the zitzits. And those aren't the things that you would get on your face when you were going through puberty. But those were the tassels, the tassels that would hang off of the wings. Kind of cool stuff. And I know you're, you're asking me, Brad, why, why are you giving us a first century clothing lesson? <laughs> Because I am interested in this moment where, where the woman finds Jesus and she reach out and it says that she touches his clothes in Mark's account. But then I realized, oh, there are other people who capture this story as well. In fact, there's a guy named Matthew who was an eyewitness to this story. And he says it just slightly different. And what he says in the story is that she didn't just touch his clothes... His clothes, not his pocket, not his sleeve, not the button on his shirt. But what she touched in that moment was what he calls the fringe. It's the fringe. And that word gets translated as, oh, as the tassels. See, what he was saying in this moment was she was reaching for the wings. She was reaching for the wings on Jesus' cloak. And, and I got really interested out of all the things this woman could have done. Like, why would she reach for the wings on Jesus' prayer shawl? It's a fantastic question. I know you're asking it because you're interested too. Why didn't she just go to Jesus? Why didn't she just go to Jesus in the first place and ask, heal me? I mean, that seemed to work for everybody else. We have two people screaming at him. Heal me, Jesus. Help my blindness. Help my leprosy. Whatever. She, like, yeah, and it worked for them. It worked. But in this case, what I realize is that she knows the word. See, she knows that there was a word from God that was a command that was given long ago that said, if you are bleeding, and you can read about it in Leviticus 15, but it's too graphic for me to share in this moment with you, so you can go read it for yourself. But she knew that if she was bleeding, she is considered unclean, and any contact with her would make somebody else unclean. And so she can't approach Jesus and touch him personally because she knows she's unclean. So she's hanging on to this word and we know that in the story that she's gone to lots of doctors, she tried to get help, she's tried to receive medical care, but as she went and the care that she was given over the course of time, it says it grew worse. I think 12 years of bleeding says, God, you aren't paying attention to me. You've abandoned me. She was desperate. She had no contact with people in her life for most of her life because of it. And yet, and yet, she begins to hear these stories about this guy named Jesus who is doing these wonderful things. Uh, my prayer partner, Doug, what he says is this. He says, in the powerful name of the cool guy, Jesus. 
I like that. Jesus is pretty cool. Jesus was pretty cool back then. There were a lot of people who were following him. And so this lady begins to hear that there's this Messiah who's going around touching people and healing people. And so she's holding on in one hand to the word of God that tells her she's not worthy because she has a bleeding condition. But she is also holding on to another scripture that had been given by Malachi 400 years ago, which says this. It says, if you revere my name, the son of righteousness shall come with healing in his wings. Am I the only one who was mind blown by this? Why was she reaching for his wings? Because long ago, somebody had prophesied that God would not abandon her, but that he would show up in the flesh. And when he saw her and when she saw him, she realized Malachi said that I could just reach out for the wings and this God would give me healing. And so she reaches and God looks at her and he says, listen, my friend, your faith has healed you. You have been freed in your suffering. And I thought, how in the world could she be unwavering in her faith over over the course of 12 years when it felt like God had abandoned her. And what I realized is she knew the word. She knew the word. She knew the word. Oh, come on, church. You've got to know the word. You've got to know the word. This is extremely important. In fact, turn to somebody now and say, you've got to know the word. You've got to know the word. See, if you want to know with absolute truth that your God is with you, you've got to know, you've got to know the word. See, knowing God's word is like a CSI crime scene. I'm going to slowly lead into this. Last night I didn't. It was a pretty abrupt uh, introduction. But knowing God's word is like a crime scene. Think about this. If you're into CSI or you love watching podcasts and somebody dies, not from a heart attack because that's not interesting, but when somebody gets murdered, you know, you watch this stuff. It's, it's very interesting stuff. Janelle was watching one last night when I got home. What we find in the CSI crime scenes is we have these investigators that come up, and what do they do? They look at the body. They're trying to figure out who it is. But eventually, because it's so gruesome and so nasty, they just cover their body with a body bag. But here's the thing. They have to identify, identify the body. They have to identify the person. And so often what they will do is they will bring somebody who knows them, who knows them. Have you thought about this? Notice they don't show them the entire body. They only show them parts of the body because they don't want to show them all of what has happened. And so when they bring in somebody who knows the person, the person knows that birthmark, the person knows that scar, that person knows that freckle, that person knows that mole, that person knows that tattoo, that person knows them by their fingernails. Yo, that person knows them by their feet. And I want you to know my wife is going to have no problem identifying me when I die. That was a bad joke. But the point is this, in order to identify the person, in order to identify the body, they had to know every square inch of that person. And I want you to know, church, that in your faith, life will surround you, right? Life will surround you. Cancer shows up. Sometimes uh, loss is inevitable. 
Sometimes your plans don't work out as expected. Sometimes people leave you. Sometimes you are desperate and hopeless, and you are wondering if God is paying attention to you and if he can hear you. But the way that you identify his move, the way that you identify that God is still working in your life, the way that you know he is with you every step of the way is to know his word. You got to know his word. Oh, Church, I'm about to preach this in just a minute, but let me get here. See, Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 31, he said, man, if you know, if you remain in my word, if you abide, if you hang out, if you are expectant in my word, he says, truly you are my disciples. But then he continues the thought and he says, if you remain in my word, he said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. If you remain in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Can I let you know, Jesus is not making just a kind little statement that makes you and me feel good. This is not philosophy. This is not just an idea. This is a factual statement that I can prove to you in this moment. No cap. No cap. Like, like this is absolute truth. And you're like, prove it, Brad. All right. Let's do it. Jesus says, if you remain in my word, he says, truly you are my disciples. And there is a wonderful study that was done. And what they found is this, is if you know God's word and you read it more than four times a week, more than four, listen, one and two, not going to get it done. Two and three, not going to get it done. If you read God's word four or more times a week, what they found is this, is that you are 228% more likely to share your faith. You are 231% more likely to disciple others. Uh, Jesus says, if you remain in my word and you know it, truly, you are my disciples. You are more likely to share your faith. You're more likely to disciple others. You are 401% more likely to have God's word written all over your life. That's good stuff. And you're like, yeah, but I'm not that churchy yet. Good, because I got something for you too. Because what Jesus says is if you remain in my word, he says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It will set you free. Prove it, Brad. You got it. Here we go. See, when you read God's word four or more times a week, and this study was done with teenagers, what they found was that your student was 57% less likely to get drunk. Your student was 68% less likely to have sex outside of marriage. Your student was 61% less likely to be addicted to pornography. Your student was 74% less likely to be addicted to gambling. You are 57% less likely when you read God's word four or more times a week week to be addicted, to be addicted to all the things in your life that will hold you down. When you remain in my word, you know the truth and the truth will literally, literally set you free, church. Set you free, church. You know what this looks like to me? You know what this sounds like to me? It sounds like chains beginning to fall. It sounds like strongholds and our life begin to break. It sounds to me like the son of righteousness is knocking at your back door saying, you grab onto these wings, baby, because we're going for a ride today. And you're going to get healing in your life. And the sin's going to be gone. And I want you to know that I will be with you every step of the way. Because when you know the truth, you know the truth. 
truth. And when you study my word, you will know that you have been set free, church. Freedom, church, is your experience on the other side of his word. Okay, I'm really excited. I'm not angry at you. I'm excited for you. But I got to ask you this question. I got to ask you this question. How many of you would say that God's word in your life is your deepest need? See, I, I get you. I, I am you. Uh, sometimes my deepest need is my time. You? Sometimes your deepest need is your schedule. Uh, sometimes your deepest need is you just need a vacation. Sometimes your deepest need is you just need one hotel room by yourself with nobody talking to you, asking you questions, pulling on your shirt, asking for milk. Sometimes you just need silence. Like your deepest need is silence because you just can't take them to soccer anymore. Sometimes your deepest need is your marriage. Sometimes your deepest need is your kids. Sometimes your deepest need is your relationships because it's broken. See, see, I've been where you are. I am where you are. I want you to know, church, I have not always been a pastor. Hard to believe, right? Actually, probably not. I've not always been a pastor. Uh, bef before this, I was in the real world. <laughs> I had quotas. I had quotas. I had pressure. I had projects. Like, I understand that kind of stuff. And I know that's what you face. But, but can I let you know, it wasn't just a struggle when I was in the secular world. It also happened when I got to the spiritual world. See, you're going to think less of me in this moment, and that's okay. But when I first became a youth pastor... Uh, I was not interested in God's word because it was boring. Can I just admit that? It was really boring to me. And, and I was just more interested in the mechanics of ministry instead of my soul being ministered to. And so this is where you're going to think less of me because, because I had a Bible that I never used. <laughs> At church, I would fold it in half. And then I'd put it in my back pocket and I'd walk around and I'd like to sit on it so I'd make it look like it had been more used and weathered than what it really was. I am superficial like that. But, but then there came a point in my life as a pastor where I realized that I wasn't going to survive. I wasn't going to survive on people's opinions. Oh, can I tell you? Like when you stand on a platform, sometimes people don't like you. When you're a pastor, sometimes people don't like the decisions you make. At this place where I was serving, when you take risks and you step out for God, people have opinions about you. And I realized if I'm going to spend my life listening to people's opinions, I'm not going to make it. And I realized that they were the ones who were shaping my identity. If I'm not careful, I can allow opinions, I can allow social media, I can allow likes, I can allow shares, I can allow all that to shape what I think of me because it's your opinion. And I realized, Brad, you need something more in your life. You need God's word, which is the truth. And whenever you have to make tough decisions, guess what? You're still going to be set free because your identity is in me. It's not in what people think. I'm preaching to somebody today because that's you. You're hearing these opinions. You're hearing these thoughts and you're thinking, yeah, but that's not me. No, his word. Because it will change the way you think about you. So, so two observations. I'm going to try to make these quick. The first one is this. And I need to thank uh, Reading Rainbow back in the 80s. Uh, the more you know, the more you grow. The more you know, the more you grow. And I also want to say this, that the opposite of that is true as well. 
that without God's word on your heart, you will live with weakened faith. You will live with weakened faith. Uh, let, me, let me say it this way. Let's start with the more you know, the more you grow. Uh, my kids will come to me and uh, they'll say, Dad, I need help with my homework. And uh, they're like, I need help with my math. I do not like math. My kids are in sixth and seventh grade. They are doing in sixth and seventh grade what I was doing in my sophomore year of high school. And I got to be honest, uh, I don't like the way that math is taught now. Like back when I went to school, when they were learning multiplication, it was like two times two is four. And they're like, Dad, but why? And I was like, you don't need to ask why. That's what I learned. It's what I memorized. I don't need some blocks to be shift around to tell me why two times two equals four. Just, it's the answer. Roll with it. Now today, you got to explain why for everything. Whatever happened to just the right answer? And so I'm with my kids, and, and I'm like, guys, like, I love you, but it has been 25 years since I've done algebra and geometry. And what I re yeah, that's right. And what I realize is, is I have to know it in order to grow in it. I have to know the math in order to help grow them in their education. And the reality is it's been 25 years. I don't know it. I can't help them grow. Just can't do it. Well, let's talk about the, the, the opposite of that for just a second. That when we live without God's word on our life, we live with weakened faith. See, it's also the same when my boys come to me and they say, hey, dad, uh, can you help me with this question? And a lot of times the question has to do with science and it has to do with social studies. All very cool, but none of which I really care about at this stage of my life. And, uh, and so I'll sit down and I'll read the question and, and then I'll look at them and I'll say, listen, I don't understand the question because I don't have context for it. I've not read the article. I've not read the textbook. I've not read the words that are within whatever it is, the homework assignment that's been given to you. So can you help me understand what you read so I can help you with the answer? And do you know what I find? Often, they want me to give them the answer without doing the work. Without doing the work. You see, you see, how can they grow in their education if they aren't reading the words that help them grow in it? Like, if they don't read the article, how do they answer the questions? And the reality is this, is if we do not have God's word on our life, we live with weakened Faith, And this is why Jesus looks at the woman right into the eyes and says to her, listen, woman, I want you to know that your faith has healed you. Be freed from your suffering. But what I know, it's not the scripture that has saved her life. It is the scripture and God's word that she knew that empowered her in the moment to increase her faith in such a way that she would reach out for God's healing, the wings on his clothes, and receive what she needed. See, her faith was in increased because she knew the word. This is why the psalmist tells us, he says, listen, in your sorrow and in your weakness, God, strengthen me with your word, with your word. One more observation, and then we'll get to the end. Knowledge, knowledge of God's word without faith is just facts. Oh, I'm going to offend somebody today. I have met so many Christians who know the Bible better than I do. But when it comes to faith, it's missing 
and they use their facts to define their faith. See, see, this is where Mark begins to continue the story. This is where we move out of the bleeding woman's story. And this is where we move into Jairus' story. Remember, Jairus is the guy who's about to lose his daughter. And Jairus is a synagogue leader, meaning he knows God's word. He knows God's word. But watch what happens in the story when, 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 when he gets some news. Verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking... Some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and they said, your daughter is dead. Are you there? Have you been in this moment when you have lost somebody you've loved and it was unexpected? You've been here? The crowd comes to him. The people come to you. And they say, why bother with him anymore? Why bother with the teacher? Don't bother him. Don't bother God. He didn't hear you anyway. But what does Jesus do? Overhearing the crowd, overhearing the crowd, he looks at him and says, oh, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. See, Jairus, you need to, you need to believe. See, Jairus' greatest problem in his life was that he knew God's word, but Jesus tells him you need to have faith. He was missing his faith, and what happened was his knowledge of God's word just became facts. And when your facts don't line up with your life experience, guess what? You live in fear instead of faith. You live in fear instead of faith when you live by your facts. Uh, I, I got to get on my soapbox. In fact, today, to make this experience better, I am literally going to get on my soapbox. I'm going to take this with me. See, see, I have met Christians who have reduced this amazing word into just facts. And what they will do is they will argue the facts to define their faith. Can I just say to you today, if you have to argue your faith, you are not living in faith, but you are living in fear. You are living in fear. Can I give you an example? In fact, if you're new to church, just watch how everybody squirms. Online, watch the tension. It is so cool. Here's the example. Let's talk about creation for just a minute. Oh, this is dangerous territory. See, I have watched both sides of the story. I have watched people take this word, turn it into facts, and they will argue whether God's word in the Genesis account happened in seven literal days or whether it happened in 77 millions of years. And we go back and forth and we put each other down and we argue the facts instead of our faith. And I think to myself, why do you keep arguing about how the world came into being? Because if you're arguing about how the world came into being, you're missing the whole point of the story. It's not about how, it's about who. It's about who. It's about who are we putting our faith in? It's about who we put our faith in. That's what the scripture is about. And what I find in the story is that there is this God who shows up and he creates the world. He creates the world with such imagination. Like mountains and fish and seas and birds. And he calls and he says, wow, that's amazing. Let's keep going. And then he creates you and me. And he looks at you. And he doesn't say you're sinful and bad. What he says in that account is, man, you are good. 
you are so good. In fact, you are so good that I want to let you steward all the gifts and all the beauty and all the world that I have given you. You get to be my stewards of this creation. And he says to us, he says, I'm not going to do this without you. I'm going to do this with you. And I don't know about you, but when I read the Genesis story, I'm not arguing facts. I am, it's all about arguing about who I put my faith in. It's who I put my faith in. And I want to put my faith in that guy who says, you are good, you have a purpose, and you have a reason. See, see, the, the Bible is the unfolding story of God's redemption throughout the course of history. Bible is not God. The scripture is not God. The Bible is the inspired witness of the word revealed in the life of Jesus. Because it says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was God. And the word was with God. And the word became flesh in and through the life of Jesus. And when Jesus showed up in the flesh, he died on the cross for you and me so that we might know the forgiveness of our sins. See, church, your faith is in the proof of what Jesus did on the cross and the resurrection. It's not in the proof of the Bible. It's in the proof of Jesus. That's where your faith is. That's where you're, okay, I'm getting off my soapbox. Some of you are thanking God for that. So you're like, Brad, give me some application. Give me some application in this moment. What, what, what do I do with all that? I need to know God's word. Fantastic. What do I do? I want to say this to you. Give God your first and your best. Give God your first and your best. Can I tell you, church, that whatever you give your most exhaustive attention to first thing in the morning is where your greatest allegiance is. So if you get up, and the first thing you give your attention to is the news. I don't care if it's Fox News, CNN News, MSNBC News, NBC News. I don't care about any of that. If that's where you spend your first minute of the day, it's where your faith is. If your first minute of the day is in the gym, if your first minute of the day is doing dishes, if your first minute of the day is on social media, if the first minute of the day is checking email, if the first minute of the day is doing work, if the first minute of the day is just getting your kids out the door, your greatest allegiance is to those things. And so I just want to dream with you in this moment. Just dream with you. Like, what would happen? Like, what would happen if we set all those things aside and we just decided to be in it for a minute? One minute. In it for a minute. First thing, now listen, I want you to get some coffee because caffeine is not God, but it leads you into the presence of God. <laughs> what would happen if you just sat with God's word for one minute? That's it. And some of you, that's what I want to challenge you in. Will you say yes? One minute this week. One minute, I'm going to come down and I'm going to open up my Bible app and I'm going to get on a devotional plan because plans are really good when you start reading God's word and you can do sorrow, you can do leadership, you can do courage, you can do faith, you can do anything you want on the Bible app. So cool. Or you can start in Mark like we're doing today. We're reading Mark's gospel. Just go to the table of contents, open up to Mark and start there. But one minute. One minute in the first week, I promise you will turn into five minutes in the next week because it's so good. In five minutes, we'll turn into 10, and 10 will turn into 15. And next thing you know, you're going to be spending 20 minutes, 30 minutes reading the Word of God. you got to know His Word because you won't want to leave it. You want to be in it. And you're like, why do I need to be in it for a minute? Why do I need to know God's Word? Because, because without God's Word, 
you won't understand the relationship that you're building. Without God's word, your relationship with God is like building Ikea furniture. I like Ikea. Wonderful furniture. But you ever brought the box home? You ever pulled out the instruction manual? Guess what's there? Pictures. Pictures. I guess in Norway, they don't believe in words. Sweden. Just, I don't know, whatever, which one. Finland. What is it? <laughs> Somebody help me out here. Sweden, thank you. When you open the instructions, there's just pictures. There's no words. And see, it's hard to understand what you're building when you don't have words. See, when you don't have God's word on your life, it's hard to understand the relationship that he's trying to build with you. But what I do know is that when you put yourself in the presence of God by reading his word just starting out one minute a day, not only will you know the relationship that you have with him, but you will know his presence and that he is with you every step of the way. And not only will you know that he is with you, but you will know his power in your life. His power in your life. Oh, this is how Mark ends it. Because we get to see the power of God's word that is alive. Here's what it says. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader. By the way, top of the sandwich. Here we go. It's the ending. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion while people were crying and wailing loudly. He went in and he said to them, while this commotion and wailing, the child is not dead, but she is just asleep. But they laughed at him. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and they went in where their child was. And he took her by the hand, and he said to her, Talitakum, which means, little girl, it's time to get up. It's time to get up. Immediately, the girl stood up, and she began to walk around. She was 12 years old, and it was at this that everyone around them was completely astonished. This is the power of God's word in someone's life. Church, I need you to hear this today, that the word of God is alive. The word of God is living and breathing. The word of God is still alive today. I want you to know, church, that your God is not dead, but your God has defeated death and has been raised from the grave. He is not there, but rather he is here right now in the present with you every Every step of the way. And I need you to know that God is saying right now over your life that you need to get up in your lifeless life. You need to get up from the past. You need to get up from the shame. You need to get up from the insecurity in the ways in which you see yourself. You need to get up from the doubt. Get up from the disappointment. Get up from the uncertainty. Get up from the loss that you face. And he says, be in my word and let your faith begin to rise up in me because my power is over your life life. See, your faith, he says, have faith that I can heal you. Have faith that I can provide for you. Have faith that I see you. Have faith that I know you. Have faith that the doubt is running away. Have faith that right now I am with you as you go along. And when you know my word, you will know the truth and you will experience freedom every step of the way. Church, celebrate that today, that today God has offered you a chance to get up and experience freedom. Would you stand with me? God, we are so grateful that when we open your word, you speak to us in such a way that it's tangible and we can come alive in you. 
God, in this moment, I'm praying for the person right now who comes in here desperate, who comes in here with doubt, who comes in here facing loss, heartbreak, hurt, pain, shame right now. They're feeling it. But in this moment, I'm praying that, that they would have an awareness of your presence in their life and that they don't have to keep holding on right now, but they can let go and give everything that they have to you. And as they begin to know your word in their life, they will see that they are forgiven, they are loved, that their past is gone, and the new has come, and they will have freedom today. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray this. Amen. Amen.